was in, it was one of the best debuts I've seen. It was incredible. You know, I've never seen a player um, just completely take control of the game. Hailed at the time as being a, a sort of a maverick player. Um, and then obviously the lifestyle that came with that in those days, you know, out and about with all the rock stars and all that sort of thing. That was just their lifestyle. And, and he was very young and he got, you know, and that was his life. Maybe at the time, Gareth and Roy had a little bit of a, there was some butt in the bed. So maybe their lunch times and all that, they, they weren't sat next to each other. Um, but flew Harry in on a helicopter to Newport. <laughs> In the media, in the local media, Harry Redknapp, blah, blah, blah. And there's a picture of me and all that sort of thing. And, and, and then suddenly, and that, by the way, the fans at Newport are brilliant fans. But straight away, they start thinking they've got some messiah here that's going to come and just wave a magic wand at the team. And Harry Redknapp's behind him. We're going to get all these players from Spurs and he's, this Mourinho and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I don't think you, that's like, I don't think you need all that. that. The players are all doing the national anthem and... and, and stood at the halfway point of the pitch. And you, then you got Vladimir Putin in a glass box, just hanging over the top of the stand there. And he does this speech. So the kickoff time now is late. And you've got Putin doing a speech. And I remember looking at the players and the, some of the players were in tears, like crying. There was just uh, so much emotion. And he stopped talking. We didn't understand anything that he was saying, obviously. And the whole stadium erupted. And I've never heard it. And the, some of the players are crying. I've never heard anything like it. I want to be in the Premier League. Hello and welcome back to a Clear and Obvious podcast. As always, I'm your host, Archie Corbett. And today I'm joined by the wonderful Sam Cole. Firstly, Sam, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, Archie, mate. How are you? Yeah, not, not too bad. Doing fairly well. Finally got a haircut, which is nice. Uh, makes, makes a nice change from my dad giving me a haircut for the last three months. So, uh it's a welcome break. Um, but enough about us, because we are joined by a very special guest. Uh, we are joined by Anthony Hudson. Would you like to introduce yourself? Archie, Sam, how you doing? It's good to see you both. Um, I'm obviously over in the States in Chicago, so it's, uh, it's good to hear some familiar voices with you speaking to you guys today. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so, I mean, we might as well, we might as well just jump, jump straight into the questions, if that's all good with you. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. So um, it only seems right to sort of start with your upbringing, uh, sort of go kind of chronologically. So um, how, how would you describe your upbringing first and foremost? Um, listen, I had, a, I had a really good upbringing. I think, when, I think all, all young people, when you're growing up, you think you have a terrible upbringing and then you get older and then you realise actually, you, you know, you had really good parents and, and, you know, they do the best they can. And, and then you start reflecting on experiences that you have good and bad and the challenges and then you start to see how they were key to your development and key, especially the adversity you go through. And, um, but I, I guess, I guess as a kid, uh, really football was in my family. My dad played, my dad played at Chelsea and Arsenal. He played for England. Um, so I grew up in a very, uh, just a fo complete football family. I mean, everything was, all we ever talked about was football um, it, the whole our whole lives re revolved around it. Revolved around a Saturday, um, going to games, and it was just amazing. And I think what you know, as a kid, when you start going to to games and you're standing in the crowd, you know, with the with the fans that you know back on the the fans that you get there, it's just incredible. And I think from a young age, all you want to do is be a footballer. You want to play, and that was what I wanted to do. And then um, yeah, so I, I ended up going into uh, left school at 16, signed for West Ham. Um, so ended up leaving West Ham, went to sign for a team in Holland, and my 
playing career didn't turn out to, to what I dreamt of it being. And I came out of playing and I fell into coaching and, and really has taken me to lots of different places. Yeah, so you sort, you sort of touched on it there um, with, your, with your dad, obviously football legend, Alan Hudson. Um, how, would you, well, how much of a role does he play in getting you into football? Because you talk about obviously being in a very football-orientated house. And me and Sam obviously know about that quite a lot because we're both in the similar household. Like how, how would you describe his role in getting you into playing? Yeah, look, I think it was a few things. I mean, as a kid, when when you're around, whenever I see my dad, he was he was surrounded by top like top players at the time. So, and these are all people that you idolise and you worship. And even my dad, he was my hero. And I remember I used to carry around his. He played his debut against West Germany, and um, to this day, you know, and I, listen, I'm obviously biased, but I also know what I'm talking about, and. Uh, it was one of the best debuts I've ever seen. It was at Wembley and uh, England beat West Germany. And my dad was, it was, it was one of the best debuts I've seen. It was incredible. You know, I've never seen a player um, just completely take control of the game. And even to the point where at times, and this was against the current world champions, at times he just almost mocked the Germans. Like he was just little nutmegs and dropping his shoulder. And he just, he was completely controlled the game. Uh, and I remember I used to carry that old VHS video around with me everywhere. I used to take it to school with me. It was just in my bag the whole time when I went around my mate's house. So I put it on. So I, like, so I was very, very proud. Um, but I guess the influence came from not just my dad and, you know, really him being my hero. But, you know, my mum was, very, you know, very uh, encouraging of what I wanted to do. My brother played. My brother was a really good player. My cousin was was at Tottenham. He was a really good player. Um, so it was just it was just all around us, and it was. Uh, um, but but certainly, I think that the you really idolise when your your dad is. You know, my dad was my hero, and and uh, you know that was a big inspiration. Because yeah, you you talk about sort of the closeness you have with your dad there, and you you idolising him. Um, what was the relationship like, obviously, with him growing up, and how has that changed since? Yeah, that's a good question. It's um, similar to what I, you know, what I said at the beginning. You sort of, as you get older, you look back and you realise um, that you, you know you you had you know really you had everything you needed. Certainly, from in my case, you had a good upbringing, you had opportunity, um, and certainly with with my dad, I think my dad, my dad was a young player. You know, he he made his debut for Chelsea at such a young age. Um, you know, he was he was hailed at the time as being a, a sort of a maverick player. Um, and then obviously the lifestyle that came with that in those days, you know, down the King's Road and in Chelsea and, you know, with, you know, out and about with all the rock stars and all that sort of thing. That was just their lifestyle. And, and he was very young and he got, you know, and that was his life. And he was a top player and everyone loved him. I mean, I, I remember, you know, I lived plenty of years up in Stoke and he, and he was incredible up in Stoke. And there was, you know, I, I, as a kid, like old, older supporters of Stoke would know who my dad was. And they, I remember one time this, this guy came up to me and he, and, he, and he grabbed me and he was like, your dad was a genius. And I went, no, no, I appreciate that. And he, and he grabbed and he went, no, I'm being, I need to tell you. And he looked at me and he, and he started crying. And he said, your dad was a genius. I've never seen him. And like the effect that he, that, 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 you know, and he was adored by those fans. So... I think as growing up and being a young, a family man and, a, you know, my mum and my dad, you know, probably um, I, I didn't have as much of a close relationship with him 
when I was younger. But certainly, I think as we both matured and, uh, you know, I think you, you, you get older, you learn from your experiences. I, you know, over the years, we'll be, we've become very, very close. You know, I know he's very proud of, of my coaching and, I, you know, and I'm extremely proud of what he's done and who he is, as I am with my mum as well. So, uh, but, I, I think, um, but I think all of it, I think as an individual, you have to take responsibility. I think that's the key thing. You have to take responsibility of, um, of, of your life. And, and, and there's one thing I really can't stand is, um, you know, when I hear people saying they're the reason the way they are now because of what someone else did back then, I just, I can't, I can't see that. I think you have to, you have to make, you're the one who's in control of your life. You have to make the most, you've got to learn from things. You've got, most of all, you've got to take responsibility. So, um, yeah, our, our relationship is really good. And uh, I think we're both very proud of each other. Um, moving on to your playing career, in the youth setup at West Ham, I think I'm right in saying you roomed with a Michael Carrick. Um, did you yeah. learn a lot from him and do you still keep in contact? Yeah, uh, to answer the second part, we do still keep in touch. Not, not a huge amount, but I, I'd say, you know, every other month we, we exchange messages. Um, he's done incredible, like he's a, He's, um, he's been incredible what he's done. He's, he's had a great career and now hopefully he's going to go on and be a top top coach and whatever he wants to do there. Um, I think the one thing that stood out with me, I, I think I ran with him um, for maybe a year and a half and uh, it was just me and him. And then in the other, in one house, but me and him were in the same room. We had these two single beds and uh, Grant McCann was in the other room. So he was a year older than us. Obviously, Grant went on to have a really good career, and now he's managing. He's managing at Hull City. Um, so I think the biggest thing I learned from Michael was, first of all, he's just an outstanding talent. Like he, at that age, you could see that this guy, this guy, you know, both the range of passing, quality on the ball, um, vision, great vision, and and he's and just for you know a big guy. He was bigger than all, all of us at the time, but had unbelievable balance. But just like he was different. But on top of that is, is just mentality. You know, he was so hungry to make it. And by the way, everyone's hungry to make Everyone wants to make it. Everyone's hungry. But he did everything that you needed to do to, in order to make it and more. You know, he was incredibly disciplined, did all the right things. Um, you know, when, 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 you know, some of the youth team players or the reserve team players went out with first team players, like he wouldn't go out. Like he was just, he did all the right things. He was just, uh, he had his head screwed on. Um, brilliant trainer and just lived, lived for Saturday. Um, and uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's gone on to have an incredible career. What, what a player to watch. Um, how did um, it, uh, your, during your playing career experiences with the like of Carrick um, prepare you for a life in coaching? Yeah, look, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if, um, <clears throat> my experiences with people like Michael prepared me for coaching other than I would say around that time I had a coach Tony Carr at West Ham who's, who's you know a, you know almost a legend at the club given the players he's brought through and Joe Cole and Frank Lampard Rio all these players that have come through the, the youth team at West Ham um, and he's and he's known to have a reputation of being you know a top top coach at developing players so around that time there were definitely Definitely sort of coaching principles that stuck out to me. 
you know, they were, they were, you know, there was like two or three things that like every now and then that pop up. And I think that's what Tony used to say. And they're just little things that stick out to you where at the time you don't really think too much of it, but they're just really simple things, but really, really important principles about the game. Um, and then I think, I think that, I think the biggest, the biggest influence on, on my coaching is probably just been going and studying other coaches and, um, just just getting really obsessed about learning and 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 watching other coaches and watching teams play and analysing teams. I think that's probably been the biggest part. But certainly that era was. I think the one that stood out was Tony Carr. Yeah, because you sort of we'll go on to, we'll go on to your managing career. Um, we'll go on to sort of who who was the biggest inspiration in management? You sort of touched on it there when you were first getting into coaching. Who did you sort of idolise or get along with, perhaps? Yeah, look, I, I always, um, I always, I always really looked at coaches that that had had to work their way from from not a big playing career or or, or coaches that had, had got success with smaller teams and 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 doing it playing a playing a good style of football. You know, I remember, I remember, you know, people like I, I, I always talk about Bielsa. I think Bielsa has been a legend. Like wherever, wherever he is, wherever he's been working at, I've always tried to get. I've always made an effort and gone to see him work and spend time there. Um, there's a coach, uh, Jorge Sampaoli, who's obviously um, a top manager. Who's at Argentina, but <clears throat> many years ago, and he kind of had a, a, a kind of a checkered start to his career, um, and then he, and then he managed Universidad de Chile um, and if, if, if you have a spare few hours on your hand then you can get access to their games when, he, when they won everything but it wasn't just they won everything they did it playing really good football like it was exciting to watch um, and he sort of captivated the club he, the fans loved it was just brilliant um, and I think that they're, they're the things that really inspire you someone that can um, put a team on the field that um, plays great football, that is successful, but also that the, the crowd and the fa- makes the, the fans proud of the team. And I think that, you know, so, so coaches like that have been very inspirational to me. And I've always tried to, anyone, anyone like that, I really admire and respect. I want to go and try and see them and watch them work. Um, so I've been fortunate in that way to, to get out and about and see as many as I can. That's brilliant. Um, so, you got into coaching at a very young age, uh, at 27, I believe your first head coach job was. Um, do you feel there was added pressure going into the industry at such a young age? Yeah, um, I'd, I'd started coaching like 23, 24. I, I got an assistant coaching job. I think I was 25. Um, and I think what, even then, and then I started because a lot of the players um, were my, my age or older. And I think what, what, what I learned and, and probably has been a f- real focus of mine and, and, and maybe in recent years is something that I've, I've maybe changed a little bit. Um, because of the age difference and because you're young and uh, you have to earn respect, I just focused on just being ultra, ultra prepared, ultra organized, making sure the players... Um, knew exactly why we were doing what we were doing. The players enjoyed training. The players uh, not only enjoyed it, but they understood that, understood that there was a purpose to the session they, and they understood it and, and I communicated in a way that they understood it. And, and if ever they had any questions about anything, I had an answer for it. 
So that was my biggest focus. And I always, and I always wanted to be um, kind of ahead of the game in trying to always put in on really great sessions for him. And I think as a young coach, you know, I think you have to earn your respect. You can't walk in there because you have, and just rely on your name or your, your, your history as a coach. You have to find another way to, to earn respect. And, I, and that was what I focused on. And, and that, that really um, was something that I enjoyed. I felt it worked. I think the players respected it. Um, but certainly when I got my first manager's job, for sure, there's it comes with the pressure of first of all you have the you know the the people around the place that that wanted that they wanted the job or they wanted their friends to get the job or the people in the media that felt they other people should get the job um but then the added pressure is you know this guy's not you know he's in no way he can do the job he's too young no experience all the all those sorts of things and i think and i think but it, listen pressure comes with every, every single appointment I think even more so as a younger manager, because I, you know, as soon as you get, you know, a bad spell or a loss, the the, the easy and the lazy response from everyone is, oh, it's it's his age, he, you know, he's not experienced enough, and it's just a lazy lazy comment. And I'm sure a lot of the times that may be the case, and maybe in my circumstances, maybe that was at times, and other times it wasn't. Um, but unfortunately, that just comes with it, and you have to find a way just to get through it, and you have to find a way to buy time you have to find a way to keep pushing forward and build your experience so um but i, I th but that's the, the, they're the great challenges about the job you know that you, you like adversity and uh you know pressure and criticism and 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 ch challenges like that i, I think that, that that's what that's what's great about the job it's what's great about life uh so you know certainly it makes you a lot tougher and it and it, and it certainly gives you a lot of experience yeah, so um, you were you were on the same uh, UEFA A qualification course as two very different but very well-known characters, so Gareth Southgate and Roy Keane. Uh, what was it like learning alongside those two very different characters in your time then? Um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was good. I, th I think uh, I, I was in more in Roy Roy Keane. So we had. There's like two groups on the same course, and Gareth was in the other group, and Roy was in on my group. So I probably got a little bit more exposed to Roy. And I mean, the first thing, the first thing I that that hit me with Roy was just a he was just a really nice guy, like a really a good guy, down to earth, and really funny, like you know, just funny in a in a in a just an understated way, in a really quiet way. You know, you'd be eating lunch and just comes out with little one and he's just got a little grin on his face and but just so funny um and then and then look you know he's a great player like we all know he's a great player and and he's played at the highest level um but I think I think you know football people know this for sure but I think at times his reputation and his um you know his physicality and his aggression can probably get in the way of the fact that he he was actually a class footballer like he was very very good and uh, and so on the course, you know, when we're playing all these games, like it just straight away you could see the quality on the ball. Like he's just so. He, first of all, like he's a top player. Um, aside from the physicality and the aggression and all that, which I love. Um, and then and then he was. I think he was. I think it was the pre-season where uh, he was going to Sunderland as manager. So um, you know that was you know I, I remember you know he kept nipping out and he was transfer and on the phone and all that sort of thing, 
Um, but he was very open, very willing to learn, very respectful. And I think when you see someone of that experience and, and stature in the game to, uh, to go into that environment and really to be um, taught how to be a coach by people that, that, that are educators that, you know, many people in Roy's position could quite easily go, listen, I've done every, I've won Champions League. I've been, you know, captain of one of the greatest clubs in the world. Um, but he was, he was just um, so humble, wanted to learn. And that has, an, that has an effect on a young coach. That really does, it, just in terms of values, in terms of doing the right thing, in terms of respect. Um, so, so for sure. And, I, and, I, and maybe at the time, Gareth and Roy had a little bit of a, there was some butt in the head. So maybe their lunch times and all that, they, they weren't sat next to each other. Um, but it was good. Yeah, the, the courses, you know, the courses, I, used, I love the courses. I'm, I'm trying, like I've done my pro license. I'm trying to get, I want to do it again. I want to do the one out here because the, the, the guys out here are really good. So I want to, I want to do it again. But I think on the courses, um, you, you, the content of the course, courses are really good. You take things that you like, some things you don't like, you leave. But as well as that, the people that you meet on the courses are brilliant. The other coaches, um, and you know you stay in touch with these guys for, for your career, and you, you build some really close bonds. So it's a, it was a really good experience. Coming back to England after your time in America, you took a job uh, coaching with Spurs. Uh, first of all, uh, what was it like working with Harry Redknapp? Yeah, ha Harry's Harry's a Harry's a first of all, he's a really good man. Um, I, I I remember in my four seasons in America as assistant coach and then as a manager in the off season, I'll go back to England or Europe and I would just travel all around and just all I did is spent all my off season watching teams train and managers went to Holland, Italy, Spain, England. And I, every year I would go and see Harry wherever he was. And, and, and I remember the year before I said, Harry, look, I want to come back to England next year and I want to, and I want to get a manager's job in lower league football. And I said, can you help me? And, uh, and he said, well, look, why don't you just come, come and coach with our reserve team? Um, you know, spend, spend as long as you want here and, and that will help you get something and we'll help you. So I came, came back. There was Tim Sherwood, Les Ferdinand, Chris Ramsey, all in the, in the reserve developmental squad at the time. And um, it was brilliant. Those guys were great, like Tim and Les and Chris. Chris Ramsey is a fantastic coach. Um, they were all very different. Les, brilliant personality, great with the young, great with the strikers. Tim was Tim was like a like a man, you know, he's a real um, like a more of a manager than a coach, but just a, they were really good guys. And then obviously Harry and and uh, Harry just creates a great environment, like it, you know, and uh, everyone's everyone's walking around with a smile on their face. He just he just he creates a really good. Environment in his, in his club, and and that's what I felt. You know, I just enjoyed it there. I enjoyed being around him. He was just a good man. Always wanted to help. Um, so we and we've just kept in touch ever since. But look, he's he's a Harry's Harry's a, a top manager. He's a, I think right now he's probably missed in the game, but he's he's doing lots of other things where he's probably earning a lot of money as well. Um, did I know at Spurs that um, that um, Harry Redknapp dubbed you the next Mourinho? Um, did did that add any um, unneeded pressure um, when taking the Newport County job? Yeah, look, I think <clears throat> hindsight. I think I think as a young young manager, um, if if I was to do it again, 
I'd be a lot more patient. I think I, I, I and even now I have to remind myself now to, I need to be more patient, you know, because impatience in, in my case can make you very uncomfortable and you always want to keep progressing at a rate that maybe times you just need to slow down a bit. And, uh, and, and maybe that was an example, you know, when I was a young manager, I was just so impatient. And, and, uh, and, and also, you're, you have, well, certain, I don't say you, like, but in my case, um, I wasn't afraid to, to put my neck on the line. I wasn't afraid to uh, make big statements and, and, and work and just, yeah, just put my neck on the line. I wasn't afraid of that. So I think that going to Newport, you know, there was, a, you know, things like what Harry said, but by the way, um, was really nice of him and, but you know, all that sort of stuff is great of him to say, but it, it does come with an added pressure and it does. Um, and, and I think in football, one thing you don't need to encourage is pressure because pressure is always going to be there. So I think, um, I think you learn as you become a little bit more experienced is um, just, just to, just to keep calm, just to focus on what you can control. Um, and you, you, there's no need going around. So, but I, I didn't say that, Harry said it. So, uh, um, but look, I don't, I don't, I certainly don't regret it. Um, I, I don't, you know, ne so I don't think anyone's ever asked me if, if that put, really put pressure on me, but um, I've, I think, I think when, when I remember we had, uh, I don't know if it was pre-season, but we flew Harry in, on a helicopter to Newport, <laughs> we uh, there was a, we had a golf day, and uh, so uh, the owners of the team there was golf day Newport County, and I said uh, one of them I think said to me, "Can you get Harry to come down and you know be a guest of honour and speak at the dinner?" So I said, "Well, I'll ask him." So I said to Harry, "Do it. Look, we have a golf day." I said, "I think I think the owner, if you want to come, he'll pick you up in in Bournemouth." on a helicopter and he'll fly you into Newport, come and play golf, have dinner and he'll fly you back. It was like, fair enough. So Harry came and, and we flew him in golf and we had dinner. I remember that night. It was funny because I remember that night, um, sat him and Kevin Bond were at the table, we were having dinner. And I, I was, the next day I bought my, it's funny, my dog, I bought a dog the next day. And I remember talking to Harry and Kevin that night about looking, and they were saying, don't do it. You're a manager, you're not going to have time, don't do it. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. I've got to get a dog. And, I've, and they've been all over the world with me so far. My dogs are here in Chicago. So, um, but anyway, obviously all of that's picked up in the media and the local media, Harry Redknapp, blah, blah, blah. There's a picture of me and all that sort of thing. And, and, and then suddenly, and that, by the way, the fans at Newport are brilliant fans. But straight away, they start thinking they've got some messiah here that's going to come and just wave a magic wand at the team. And Harry Redknapp's behind him. We're going to get all these players from Spurs and he's, this Mourinho and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I don't think you, that's like, I don't think you need all that. that doesn't, you don't need to be doing things, especially as a young manager. You just need to get your head down. Stay calm. Stay cool. Focus on what you can control. Yeah, you don't need to be creating all the extra stuff around the edges. Um, so, you then you then made the move into international management. Um, was this an avenue you'd always imagined you'd go down in your career, or was this sort of caught you by surprise, if you will? Yeah, I, I, it was never it was never in the plan. I just I just want to be a top manager and keep progressing. When I when I when I got sacked at Newport. Um, obviously, it's a tough time. You get sacked, and it, it, it's like, where'd you go from here? You're a young manager. You got sacked, 
And uh, so I, 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 someone said to me, look, you, you need to, first of all, stop feeling sorry for yourself, learn from it and get back out there. Go to games, get back to work. So I spoke to John Still, who was the manager at Dagenham at the time. And, and John was a really nice guy. and He very, helped me a lot. I said, John, look, can I come down and maybe join in with a few sessions? And, and, and John was brilliant. He said, look, come down, come, I'll let you coach the team. Like he let me take sessions and that sort of thing. So I remember for like four or five months after that, I was doing, I was coaching every day, going to the games. And I remember one day I was in the manager's office before the game. They were playing Gillingham and I was sat in John's office and uh, John said, look, I'm going to go and take the team talk. He said, I'll see you in a second. So he left the office and Peter Taylor was in the office with me. So we just started chatting. And I've never met Pete before. We'd spoke before on the phone, but I'd never met him. We had a chat. They were playing. He was managing Bahrain and they were playing Sweden in a couple of weeks. And as a young man, I'm like, that's brilliant. They're playing Sweden. What a big game. And Bahrain. Wow, that's amazing. And then, uh, and then a few weeks later, he called me up and he said, do you want to come and coach our Olympic team? The, the, the under-23s. And I was like, yeah, 100%. So, it, look, it just happened as a result of, bit, I believe, of being in the right place at the right time, but by doing the right things. And I think, you know, I think the easy thing would have been, and we spoke, we, I mentioned this at the beginning, in terms of taking responsibility. Like, things happen. Like, things are going to happen. There's adversity. You're going, things aren't going to go your way, whether it's in your upbringing or your start or you're your in your career. And, and, and I felt quite easily, after getting sacked, you can just go and hide and put your head down and, um, but I felt that came as a result of being every day going out, building the trust with John, coaching on, on the field, being in that office that day, meeting P Peter Taylor. So that's how that came about. So, yeah, because you sort of talk about that all sort of happening by chance. Um, and then you obviously went on to be the Bahrain under 23s manager. Um, I'll be honest, I don't know much about football in Bahrain. I don't know about you, Sam. Uh, what's, what's it like there uh, from a footballing standpoint? So, you know, talent level, culture, that sort of thing. Because it must be quite a culture shock. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It, it, honestly, it's... Uh, I mean, picture this, right? Um, I, I was in Newport, living in Newport with my little dog, <laughs> my new dog that they told me not to get. Um, next thing I know, literally... I, I was on a flight to Japan. So my first game was in Japan. I didn't go to Bahrain first. And I remember um, uh, Pete was on this tour with me because my first tour, so he came on the tour. I think it was an Olympic qualifier. And uh, I remember just going straight to the hotel, bite to eat, on the bus, we're going training. And I remember that night, um, I'm setting up the field. I'm putting the cones down and the team are running around the field warming up and putting the cones down and I just stopped and I looked around I'm like what am I doing in Japan like last week I was in Newport <laughs> County so I'm like uh, it was amazing I mean so so you know your first week you start realizing we had our own chef with us and you have all you know in the hotel there in Japan's beautiful place unbelievable hotel we've got our own chef there for the under 23s and the, you know you start learning about first of all you know they don't like this rice we have this proper rice. we need this they know that everything's so specific and particular um you know different prayer times you know this this group's going to go and pray at, pray at that time this group's going to go at this time so you have to you know you have to adapt your schedule um but overall it was an amazing experience 
the the talent of the players is very very good. I mean, there's you know one kid in my team now he's playing at Slavia Prague. You know, just played in the Champions League. He played against um, Inter Milan, I think it was right before the lockdown. I think he was the first Bahraini player. But like, there's some really talented players there. Um, but an amazing place, amazing culture. And and very very competitive in the region, so that all the countries want. They just very they don't you know national pride. Don't want to lose to each other, you know. So there's a lot there's a lot at stake. You can imagine, and it's it's a you know the environment there. So um, it was just brilliant. I loved it, and it was a, a great experience. Love working with the players, uh, and and I learned a lot from Peter Taylor. Uh, so that was it was a great great experience. What what was your what was your relationship like with Peter Taylor? Because um, we know him as obviously this this great coach and everything. But what what was your relationship personally like with him? Really good. Yeah, uh, you know, Pete was almost like a. I'd say he's probably like a father figure. You know, he's just a, I think one thing you, I I, I think anyone that um, first of all for me, I have a huge amount of respect for him because of. Uh, him as a human being and I think even before you get to the coaching and what he's done in the game and all that sort of stuff I think he's, he's just a good man and, and you enjoy his company and I, you know in a in a footballing environment he's just brilliant with people um so I think that I think that's the that was the, the biggest thing and then um obviously uh, as, a, as a manager he's got so much experience he's, you know at all levels um but I, I don't, I don't, I don't think I've ever met anyone that has a bad word to say about him. You know, I think my, my when I speak to players that have worked for him, they've all got, you know, they all respect him and and they like him. So um, yeah, he's just a, he's a, he's just a good man, and I think that is something that's you know as important as being a, you know, if not probably more as being a, as being a good coach. You, you know, just being a good person and um, you know respecting people and and building that. Uh, you know, having that environment where it's based upon those things. So um, back to sort of your time, your time in Bahrain. Um, what was the decision-making process behind leaving Bahrain after signing a contract extension so soon before your departure? Yeah, um, yeah, it's a good question. That is, I think, um, I think the. The big attraction, because New Zealand got, got in touch, and I think the big attraction was the opportunity to go to the World Cup. And I remember I'd watched the 2010 World Cup. It, and it, it's crazy, really, because Pete, Pete took over Bahrain when Bahrain fired their manager because New Zealand beat them in the final to go to the World Cup. It was a, they had a playoff with Asia. Uh, so it's funny how it all comes back around. Um, and I remember watching the 2010 World Cup and there are players like Ryan Nelson and you know, Winston Reid and Tommy Smith. You know, they, it was just Shane, Shane Smeltz. Like they, they had, they had a, that World Cup. I think they went unbeaten in that World Cup. And they played Italy, Paraguay. You know, it was a, they did really, really well. Um, and I just saw something about that New Zealand team. Like, and I guess Ryan Nelson epitomises it. You know, the, the sort of Kiwi mentality, honest, tough, um, I think they're the two key things, honest and tough. Uh, you know, they look like they're, as a team, they were really together and close and played for each other. And, and I think when you see that, you're like, that would be a great team to work with and they'd be great players to work with. And obviously the opportunity to go to the World Cup. So when that, when that came 
um, you know, it was, it was a decision I made and, and, uh, and I went there and, and, you know, I, I, to be honest, I, at times I did, I felt bad about leaving Bahrain, but, um, you know, I didn't really look back, but it was, a you know, it was a, it was a tough decision at the time. Yeah. I guess it's sort of a, uh, an opportunity you have to take when it sort of comes to you in your career. Um, so you led, you led New Zealand to the 2017 Confederations Cup. Um, and you had a lot of praise from managers at that tournament as well as past players in your time there because you did brilliantly with them. Um, could you describe sort of what that meant for you in terms of getting them to that tournament? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think New Zealand should be getting to that tournament. So, I, you know, I, I probably... Um, the, the, I took over the team and they'd failed to get to the tournament. They'd failed to get there and then they played their playoff against Mexico and I think... You know, after the first game, they were out the first leg. I think overall they lost 9-2. They got hammered and the team was in a bad way. And, you know, there were players that didn't want to come back and represent the country. There was, you know, the top European players didn't want to come back. It was just, it was, it was a tough, tough time. So we had to change a lot of things and then we had to change the culture and we had to get the players really feeling proud again, playing for their country and wanting to come back and play for us. And also building a team where we could be competitive um, so, so I, I felt we did that and, and going to the Confederations Cup, although um, it was kind of bittersweet because I, I felt we could have done more. Um, you know, a team like New Zealand, um, you're heavily reliant. Um, I wouldn't say you're heavily reliant, but it's, it's especially in like your attacking positions and you need your best players. And I, and I think, you know, our main striker was Chris Wood. You know, if Chris, you know, I remember when we went to, we played it in the, the, the playoff against Peru and Woodsy was injured, you know, and it's the worst possible time to lose a player like Chris Wood. Um, but then for a team like New Zealand, if you lose Chris Wood, you don't really have the quality and the depth to be able to go and repl- to score against teams like Mexico and Peru and these teams. So uh, it, it was kind of bittersweet, but, but, Look, all I can say is this: I loved every minute in the the confeds, the players. You know, we I know we played we played against Mexico, and and um, and I remember our, it was probably one of the best first halves I think we've ever had. Like they they were the whole game really they were brilliant. But one thing we lacked, you know, we 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 went one nil up. We probably should have been two or three nil up against Mexico. You know, their bench was going crazy. Um, just because we, I think we just rattled him. We're like, we, you know, we played really good football. Woodsy had some, he had a few chances that, I, you know, I think if he was in top form, he, he would have put them away. He was just coming back from uh, injury. Um, he ended up scoring a great goal. And, but we sh- the game should have been probably two, we should have been two or three nil up. And then uh, we get to around 60 minutes. And what we found with our team was, that just fitness levels because we've got five or six players in the starting 11 and on the bench that are not playing in first teams or professional teams. You know, these are guys that are in squads, squad players, not playing. Some of them weren't even with professional players, but then we got Woodsy in there. We've got Tommy, you know, we've got some, you know, other senior players in there. So that's where we fell down. And, uh, and you could see just a complete dip. And, and then when you're playing against a team like Mexico, they've got some quality and they, they can really pick you apart. But the experience was brilliant. It was, a, it was a great experience and one that I'll never forget. So there's, there's one thing that I sort of want to pick up on um, that you spoke quite publicly about 
the national body not being able to find suitable fixtures for the All Whites in your time as head coach. Uh, do you think that's sort of the main reason that uh, teams like New Zealand and smaller nations like them can't necessarily, well, they struggle to progress the quality of their national team to a major tournament, for instance? Yeah, I think, uh, I think uh, as a manager, you have to fight for resources. Uh, you have to fight for resources for your team. I think, um, you know, it, it takes, you, you, there's, there's a lot of teams around the world and you, and you know, you, and you see people talk about culture and values and it's written on walls all over the world. And, and, you know, every organization you go in there and it's like, you know, we're, we're, we're bright, we're brave. We want to be the best we can, all these slogans and catchphrases. Well, it can't just be the team that, uh, trying to live to these and talking about it every day because you need everyone to be brave and to be bold and to, to really back and support what you're doing. And I think, and I think, yeah, for sure, teams like that, because I think New Zealand have so much opportunity there. I mean, there's, there's, there's so much, so much quality coming through. Even now there's some really, really top players coming through. I, I, you know, the, 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 as it stands, the players they have, they're capable of going to a World Cup for sure. But in order to do it, they need everyone everyone behind them. They need everyone to support them. They need to keep pushing, this, the, the, raising the bar in terms of standards in the country uh, with the team. They need to keep being, need to be, you know, or they've got the All Blacks on their doorstep. And uh, that, that really is a team that they talk about values and they live them. And and it's and it's everyone. It's everyone, and not just the the front office. It's the fat. It's everyone. They ho they hold the team to a high standard, and I think, um, you know, that's almost that real integrity and fight to want to be the best is what uh, needs to happen on the football side because they've got they've got quality there and they've got um, they've got potential to be a really really good team. Yeah, because in in, in a nation like New Zealand, which is so rugby orientated. When you're the head coach of a national team, do you sometimes maybe feel like the football team was sort of pushed to one side in favour of the rugby team when it comes to funding or sort of issues like that? Do you feel like there was more of a focus on rugby and that held you back in some regard as well? No, I don't, I don't think I don't think any time, you know, you look at the rugby team and you say, oh, because of them, this is why. I think we tried, my personal view is I, I tried to embrace, embrace it. We weren't trying to compete with them. Um, first of all, they're one of the most successful teams in the world. So, what can we learn? You know, can we learn from them? Can we go and, whilst I'm in New Zealand, is there anything I can go and 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 learn from these guys to bring back and help our team? I remember in camps on time, you know, times in between meetings and meals and all that. I remember speaking to players about it, and I'd, you know, I'd I'd share stories about. Look, a few weeks ago, I was down with the All Blacks, Steve Hansen, and I went in this, and guess what they did? They do this, and then the team. You know, went into one meeting with the All Blacks and the players get up. The players get up and presented the meeting, and they did. And I tell them stories about it, and, and in a way to say, look, you know, we could, you know, this might help us. Like, and the, but the players loved it. So I think, I think, um, I think we, we, you know, we almost needed to embrace um, and try and learn as much as we can. But at no point did we, did I feel that because of them, we're, you know, we just had to be the best team that we could be. Um, and, and try and but strengthen our relationship with teams uh, like the, you know the, the other national teams in the country. You know I think that was really really important. 
After leaving New Zealand, uh, you took the manager um, role at uh, the Colorado Rapids. What attracted you back to club management after your stint in international management? Yeah, that's a really, really good question because um, I think as a young coach, I think, uh, and I might have mentioned this before about as a young coach, you really focus on being a top coach and being really tactically, technically prepared so you earn your respect that way and you buy, you know, you buy, you buy yourself credit um, and respect. And because I loved and I still love being on the training field and, and coaching and developing and helping and, and shaping a team. I love that. I really do. Um, I was desperate to, to do it on a daily basis because in an international football, it was just I felt I was just I was frustrated because I wanted to be on the training pitch every day, and I think probably that that desire and frustration to be on the training pitch every day made me probably want to um, probably jump too quickly. Um, and again, I've mentioned about being impatient, um, and 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 it, that's you know impatience can can not be a good thing at times. So but the the desire to want to be on the training pitch every day was something that was heavily involved in, in the reason I went to Colorado. Um, in your time at the Rapids, uh, you made comments about the gap in quality in the MLS and how teams like yours couldn't compete with the bigger franchises. Um, how would you fix that? And do you think this is a problem that the MLS needs to address to become a fairer league? No, look, I, I, think, I think MLS have done a great job um, in, in getting to, getting the league to where it is now, I think I think they've done an incredible job, and I think the way that they've used um, marquee players and they call them DPs out here, the way they've used DPs has been brilliant for the league because it's it's helped. You know, these guys have not only raised the bar in terms of quality, but they've also given the league profile, much needed profile. So um, I think the league league have done a great guys. If you were to come out here and go to some of the stadiums and the games and you wouldn't believe it. Like that some of the, you know, LAFC and Portland, Seattle, these teams, the crowds are unbelievable. The atmosphere is unbelievable. It's like back home. Like it's, it's incredible. And, and by the way, the standard now is really, really good. So everything they've done is, is, is good. I think I was in a, I was in a situation where um, right at the end, I made some comments where I look back, I reflect back and, and they're sort of similar context comments that you hear every week in England because that's, that's just the way things are in England. Managers talk that way and I've been exposed to that and I've, and I've, and I've been around that all my life. So, but that's not the way you, you know, in American sports, you don't, you know, you're not really supposed to say things like that. So it's something I look back and I think, you know, what, I probably shouldn't have said that, but I think what the intention and I, and it didn't come out the right way. The intention was actually to defend the team because every week we were going up against, teams that you know that particular weekend we played against Atlanta in front of 40 50,000 um you know they'd spent i don't know 17 million on that striker 10 million there 20 million there you know and and that was like completely it was like David and Goliath in relation to and and, and we just we we just weren't we weren't at the level and, and what i felt was no one ever talked about that um but look again you, you uh, uh, football coaching management is all about experience. It's all about learning from your experience. It's all about you know if you get a knock, you got to 
reflect, review, learn from it. Um, and, and that certainly is an experience where um, I definitely um, have learned a huge amount. I'm better for it. Um, but it, but it was, I also loved it. It was a great experience. So um, on, on, on to your current role. Um, after experiencing sort of such a wide range of cultures during your career, uh, what are your aims back in the USA as the under-20s head coach and how do you want to develop that side of things? Well, the, uh, first, firstly, the opportunity to come and work with the, the, the national team manager, Greg Berholter. I think he's a top manager. Um, you know, I've, I've been all around the world and, and, you know, watched and studied some top, some of the very, probably the best in the world. You know, Greg's, Greg's up there, you know, Greg's uh, someone. So the opportunity to come and, and learn and, and be exposed to, a, you know, different principles of play and um, a different way of working was, was really, really exciting to me. Um, the opportunity, because um, I, believe, I believe in what's happening here. I believe in the game. I believe in, um, you know, there's a lot of young talent, really good young talent coming through. And to be able to come and be a part of, um, helping the game grow uh, uh, and and getting as many of these young players into the first team and then also competing at a World Cup, you know I think I think these the, the tournaments like these and the Confederations Cup um, and going through World Cup qualifiers and Asian Cups and Golf Cup, you know these tournaments like they're they're amazing experiences and and uh, I can only you know my experience at the Confederations Cup like. That, that, those things will live with you forever. I mean, we, we play, I remember the opening game we played against Russia. Um, you know, you, you won't believe it, you know, playing Russia, in Russia, opening game of the tournament, um, the stadium was packed full of Russian supporters. We maybe had 10 Kiwis in the stadium, as we always did whenever we travelled away. Um, and then, the, the, you know, the players were all doing the national anthem and, and, and stood at the halfway point of the pitch and you then you got Vladimir Putin in a glass box just hanging over the top of the stand there and he does this speech so the kickoff time now is late and you've got Putin doing a speech and I remember looking at the players and the, some of the players were in tears like crying there was just uh, so much emotion and he stopped talking we didn't understand anything that he was saying obviously and the whole stadium erupted and I've never heard it. And the, the, some of the players are crying. I've never heard anything like it. Never experienced anything like it. And then, and then they started so fast that day, Russia. So I think these moments, um, these tournaments, National Pride and World Cups and all these um, are, are incredible. To, to I mean, not many people get the opportunity as a player or as a coach. So that, that's really exciting for me. Um, and also, see you... Obviously, as a youth coach now in the States, um, obviously there are a lot of American players now coming through in the top European leagues and they've been doing brilliantly. Um, are there any names that we should specifically be looking out for, you know, ones for the future, if you're going to sort of, you know, tip someone to come over to Europe and do really well? Uh, is there any names sort of in your current team that you'd sort of pick out? Yeah, look, I mean, look, Sam's got the top on there for, for one of Gio Reyna. Like, he's, um, you've obviously seen him play. He's a... He's a outstanding young player look this 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 uh, group of players that we have at the under 20s is exciting it really is there's a lot of good young players um there's we've got probably half of our players in europe already um you know we've got a young kid conrad de la fuente at barcelona who's, who's an exciting player we've got you know players in germany that are you know really exciting players and then we've got a whole bunch in mls that are playing you know hopefully in this tournament that's about to start this week um, 
a lot of young players that are going to be that are in first teams that are there's some exciting players like the uh, the, the states is is de they're developed you know before years ago players were going to college and and playing for the, we don't have, you know really we don't have any players in the in the national team that are it people so like the rest of the world now young kids are leaving getting into academies getting into professional teams at a younger age so we so the so the talent is there um but yeah for sure this is a, this is an exciting group it really is um what are, so you've been through quite uh, quite a lot in your in your time in management but uh, what are your ambitions for the rest of your coaching career yeah sam for me um i i want to build a career i want to i want to um i want to be a i want to be a top manager i want to be the best manager i can be i want to help develop players i want to i want to build good footballing teams um, I want to. I want to manage at the highest level in the game, um, and I and I want to. You know, I want. I want to be in the game till. You know, I look at people like Roy Hodgson and, you know, Ancelotti, like the the, the managers that are up there that are still going like that. I want to be doing that, a thousand games and, and managing at the highest level, and 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 really, because it it you have to. It would show a huge amount of resilience and toughness and character and quality of work and growth and all the things that go with just being able to adapt and stay in the game. But that's something that, um, that I want to do. So like I, the impatience thing that I've mentioned a few times, like I just, you know, I need to be patient and keep developing and keep learning and keep working. And, and uh, so for right now, my focus is on doing an amazing job for the national team here. Um, but for sure, long term, I want to manage at the highest level in the game. And and finally, uh, to wrap up on, uh, there are lots of young coaches who'll be watching this, and uh, I was just wondering, uh, what would your advice be to these young people who are trying to get into the world of coaching in football? Yeah, I, th I think um, I think I think I think it's it's a it's a really it's a broad question. It's a good question, and I think probably a lot of managers and coaches you know would say the same thing and it is all the things that you read in books and all the you know the famous quotes and things like that but you know some someone someone spoke to me a few weeks ago and they asked me the same thing and they were they were asking me all sorts of questions about coaching and building teams and all that and at the time they were doing something else they were doing another line of work and the conversation with me was like, you know, yeah, because I'm, uh, you know, I'm deciding whether I want to be a coach. You know, and, I, and I said, look, you know, this is a tough, tough industry. This is like, this is, this is, this is a, this is an industry. This is a profession. If you want to do it, you cannot be indecisive. You cannot be half in. You can't be like, I'm not sure. You have to be all in. Uh, you have to be fully committed. You have to be so pa passionate and obsessive about wanting to grow and become a, a, a you know the best coach you can be and to learn. Like you know, it's it's such an amazing amazing profession because uh, it's it's not like you go you work from nine till five and then you leave your desk and then it's done. Like the life of a coach is your it's the whole of your life. It is who you are. It's uh, it, it, it's it's just it. 
so it's just constant growth development fighting for fighting for your career um but it starts with the you know the the obsession and the passion and love for the game it really does as basic as basic as that sounds that's what that's what you know everything drives from that point there because otherwise i don't think you can stay the course i don't i i think i think you get you go in a different direction so we 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 like to ask as a final question um in 10 years time anthony hudson where do you see yourself i want to be in the premier league brilliant any if you had to pick any club like obviously you can't just cherry pick a team but if you had to pick any team to start off with in current world football who would it be yeah look i mean i i uh Two places I used to go to as a kid, and for, for, for reasons that are close to my family, my dad, um, going to Stamford Bridge, you know, uh, and also going to Stoke City. Um, like, there's something very special, and there's a big connection there with me and my family. Um, it, would, it would be a dream one day to manage one of those teams. Um, and, and, uh, and, and why not, you know? So that, that's something that I, for sure, um, is 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 like the my big dream, my big goal, um, and and I'm ne- I'm not going to change that for sure. Well, Anthony, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, you've been a brilliant guest. You've given us so much insight, uh, and yeah, we just like to thank you for coming on the podcast. Really, Archie, Sam, it's been a pleasure, and uh, you guys are doing a great job. So uh, it's been. I, I hope you've got something from this, and it's and it's great to meet you guys. I'm looking forward to seeing more of you in the future. Thank you very much, Anthony. All the best. All right, guys. Speak Cheers. soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.